Hello, good afternoon and welcome to Passing the Button, 29th of August 2009. I think it's probably number 28. And the title for this one is, Who is Building the House? It's been a very problematical study for me because it is trying to establish what God is saying in this time to his church about where he wants to go. And I think I've probably rewritten it about four times. Forgive me if it doesn't hang together because I'm walking off my map, which is where he wants us to go right now. So let's just have a start by looking at 2 Chronicles 6 verse 18 in the New American Standard Bible. And it says this, But will God indeed dwell with mankind on the earth. Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house which I have built. We're going to be looking at several things. The individual believer, the church and the kingdom. So firstly, I want to state that I'm not going to be talking about pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets and apostles. I'm not going to be addressing church government, in other words. In these days, God is disestablishing, and by that I mean undoing or changing things that have been established for a long, long time. By definition for us, that means change is here to stay. What we thought we knew last week, we realised has to go in order to make room for the new. We are learning what it means to be a community of believers, not a disparate group who come together once a week or once a month. We're learning what it means to agape one another rather than eros one another. If you don't understand what I'm talking about at this point, maybe you need to get last month's teaching notes, which were entitled A More Excellent Way, and it was about the difference between the two. The CDs are available too if you want to apply to us. And we explored then the principles of agape and the fact that truly love is a choice. In the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, the letters to the seven churches repeat the words, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Jonathan Edwards, an 18th century theologian, said this, The task of every generation is to discover which direction the Sovereign Redeemer is moving and move in that direction. Amen to that. So here we go. What exactly is God saying to the churches in these days and what direction is he moving in? How many of us really know that God is never static? It is an insult to hear Christians say God's on the move. So, you can't build a tree, you have to grow one. This simple statement was made in a discussion regarding the nature of the church. Like a tree, the body of Christ by its very nature cannot be built, fabricated or in fact organised. It is an organism born in fellowship. Spiritual realities are being demanded of the Christian faith which she must be able to produce or she will be relegated to just another philosophy. 
The cry which I hear everywhere in this computerised day is the cry to belong. So says Bob Mumford. Here is something else. Feedback from a recent conference entitled, I love the title, The Church Has Left the Building, at which Graham Cook was the speaker. And this is the leader of the church which he visited speaking. Graham came to this city at this point because we would have aimed ourselves in the wrong direction. We would have aimed at the church and not at the kingdom. Building the church and not building the kingdom. We would have sought the Lord only within our own leadership team, not with other pastors and churches coordinating and cooperating together. We would not have been filled with confidence and been unintimidated. We would not have seen our city as the reconciled, already loved by God, a place in which he cannot wait to show himself strong. We would have settled for old, stale bread that could never feed this city. We would have continued to see our city as hard ground, a difficult place, and not seen the new plough that God wants to give us. And the same leader at the same time received this word from the Lord. The Lord wants to change my, our, perspective about church size, growth, numbers. He wants to change our perspective about our church altogether because how we currently think is going to severely limit us for the future. We tend to think in terms of who is building on who is in the building on any given Sunday morning and we judge our size and our impact by that standard. It is the wrong way to see it. The church that God is building is not contained in the four walls of a church building. The church has left the building is more than a slogan for a conference. It's a reality that the Lord wants to bring us into. The church that he is building is found in the community around us. He no longer wants us to see our church as the size of those who sit in our building. In fact, he wants us to stop looking at size at all. Size is a means by which churches and people compare themselves among themselves and evaluate each other. It is a false sense of security or a false sense of insecurity that we use to judge ourselves to establish our own value or lack thereof. God does not even recognize that standard. It is foolishness to him. He doesn't want us to use that measure any longer. But if we are ever pressed to give an answer, the new number of our church is 91,649 people. The number of the population of the zip codes in our immediate sphere of influence. The whole place is our church, even if a person is sitting actively in the building of another church. We will not withhold our love or help as the Lord directs. We are not just stewards over those who sit in our building. We are stewards over this entire geographical area. In this way, the number of people in our churches ceases to be a number that either inflates or deflates our ego. It becomes a picture of the burden of the Lord over us, the responsibility he has given us to care for a community. 
In this way, the churches that are our neighbours are no longer our competition. They are co-labourers who are helping us to shoulder the responsibility for the care of this community. We love them. We are their cheerleaders. We want them to grow and to become as influential as possible so that together we might be the caretakers of a community. We also solicit and fully support the marketplace ministries who are also the church helping to be caretakers of this community. It's no longer about people taking credit for a false picture of what success is. It is only about the burden of the Lord to love and care for our community and beyond. In this way people will come and they will go from the physical building either by the Lord's direction or otherwise. But the consistent thing is the burden of the Lord over this community. Kingdom, Church, Community. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for who you are, your magnificence for Jesus amazing God, for the Holy Spirit eternally prevailing. We're so grateful Lord, so grateful. Thank you. Thank you Father that you have counted us worthy to be a part of what you're doing in this day. Father we acknowledge that the Kingdom is about you, how you like to order things, how you like to do things and Father we want to fall in behind you, not behind a man, the only man we want to follow is Jesus. Father, prepare our hearts for what you want to do in this season. Show us the things we need to let go of in order that you can show us and give us something bigger. Help us to be willing, Father. Help us to will. Help us to see. Help us to understand. Thank you, Father, that Jesus said he would build his church and all we have to do is fall in behind him. We're asking today, Lord, that you would renew our minds, touch our hearts, make us glad again in our salvation and all it means. Refresh us, renew us, touch us, teach us, strip us of our ideas what you want and replace them with what you desire in this time. Open our eyes to the truth of the Kingdom, Father, where your Son reigns supreme. Make us disciples, Lord, not just believers, our followers. Lord, we want to follow the cloud, not the crowd. Father, we want the privilege of being astonished and living a life amazed at who you are and what you are saying and doing. Teach us to learn to magnify you. Teach us to marvel. Teach us to be amazed every single day, to rise up and come before you, to ask for the things you so want to do. Bring us back, Father, to Jesus as our centre. Father, we want to live outrageously in your favour and grace. We want to see the world around us changed by knowing you. We want to see miracles. We want one of us to put a thousand to flight. We want to become convinced of your bigness, your majesty, your sovereignty. We want to dream big dreams and live them out while there's still time. We want to live a life less ordinary. 
We want to stand before you as a community of believers, kingdom people, confident in what you're asking us and willing to obey. We want to know your heart, your mind. So come in your fullness and be and do just what you want with us today. We love you, we worship you, we bless you, we magnify you. And Holy Spirit, how I love you. I'm so in awe of you, Majesty Sublime, that I love you. Please come and do what you do best. Show us Jesus. Show us what he has in mind. Show us his heart for his people. Thank you, you never condemn, never accuse. You always lead us and guide us so gently for our own good. Please come and teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. So the topic of the study is just exactly who is building the house. Have you ever started doing something and then had your course changed? I was praying and seeking God for this teaching but I knew I wasn't hitting the spot. Then one morning Jesus and John and the Kingdom of God came into my mind. Years ago when I sat under my first teacher he did some teaching on this title so I pulled out the notes and began to look at what he'd said. The result was astonishing as I saw how far we as a church have drifted or strayed from the original message of the gospel which is not come to Jesus and get your needs met or come to Jesus and secure eternal life or come to Jesus and make a commitment but come to Jesus and live a radical king-centered life. The problem is that not any that is not that any of these are intrinsically wrong but that they fall so far short of the fullness of the gospel which is transformation new for old bondage to freedom fullness not measure inheritance and possession and God in all and over all like the children of Israel, some of us have never crossed over the Jordan into the Promised Land. We've got out of Egypt, but we never got into Canaan. So we'll be taking a fresh look at what Jesus' message was, what he actually said in the Gospels, and indeed what the Gospel message really, really is, and how that affects us as his disciples or followers. What sort of lifestyle is required of us? What are we building with our lives? Are we willing to take the whole gospel and really say, Thy kingdom come and mean it? Disciples are used of God. Followers use God. Which are you? Does God share your theology? Do you see the church being here for the people or for the Lord? Do you conform the Word of God to your desires or do you conform your desires to the Word of God? Jesus' whole thrust in the Gospels is that people should conform to how God really is, not how they think he is or should be. How does the statement, God has the perfect right to do whatever he wishes with his substance and his people make you feel? Many Christians do not have a personal vision to worship and serve the Lord 
not having been discipled or empowered. They have no idea where they fit into the local church or indeed the kingdom, and their lives are little different from those around them. If we do not move our feet, we can only adapt to the will of God and not be changed by it. Real theology doesn't come from books or schools. Real theology comes from penitent hearts, submissive spirits and renewed minds. Real theology is spoken in the language of slaves and ignorant fishermen. It's based on the time spent with Jesus and the confidence that his presence engenders in human hearts. Real theology is not meant only for arguing points, but also for creatively demonstrating the nature and character of God through both his words and his works. So says Graham Cook in his book, A Divine Confrontation. The task before us today then is to hear what the Spirit is saying and when we hear, to respond, to be conformed to what he requires. Firstly, I want us to look at the house, which in this context I define as the church, the ecclesia, in the Greek literally the called out ones, that's us, each individual, you and I, the living body of born again believers currently on the earth, of whatever denominational persuasion. We are each a living stone being built into his house by his spirit. This is not a work of man's hands or it shouldn't be. Every one of us longs for a church where we feel we belong. We desire church to be a place of peace and harmony. Many people have a dream of the perfect marriage but never learn to live with the mate to whom they are married. It's so easy to envisage what church should look like but so difficult to live with the reality. All of us, I suspect, have had wrong expectations, which for some have caused considerable pain and no little distress, not to mention surprise on occasion. It's said that the church is mother, so until we can come as to a loving mother, we will not realise the peace, safety and security of belonging. We will always hold something of ourselves apart, for fear of criticism, derision, rejection, being misunderstood or simply not belonging. Sometimes we prevent intimacy because we are afraid people will find the gaps and holes in us and we don't want to be exposed like that. So we put on a plastic smile and talk about trivial things. Jesus gave him, he gave us himself. He spared nothing. The change that must come to us as a body is that we must first give ourselves totally to him, absolute surrender to his lordship, and then to each other. The body of Christ must be Christ-centred and kingdom-focused. If we don't learn to give ourselves to one another, preferring that one another with Christ truly as our head, to whom we are submitted, and our model whom we follow. We don't have a church or a community, we have an orphanage. Children clamouring to be noticed, 
seeking security, identity and belonging. People seeking attention and creating friction, but never growing up into maturity. As some have described it, all noise at one end and mess at the other with a smile in between. In other words, babies. Good pastors or leaders often spend more time firefighting trying to sort out problems between immature believers than they do teaching them how to grow. Somehow we seem to have developed in the charismatic and renewal movements high dependency, low output believers. Beloved, it's time to grow up into all things in Christ. And that will mean that something in us will have to die. We will have to embrace the reality of the cross. You yourself will have to desire it. You have to desire to be more like Christ than anything else. The message puts it like this in Matthew 10, 34-39, and it's Jesus speaking. Don't think I've come to make life cosy. I've come to cut. Make a sharp knife cut between son and father, daughter and mother, bride and mother-in-law. Cut through those cosy domestic arrangements and free you for God. Well-meaning family members can be your worst enemies. If you prefer father or mother over me, you don't deserve me. If you prefer son or daughter over me, you don't deserve me. If you don't go all the way with me through thick and thin, you don't deserve me. If your first concern is to look after yourself, then you'll never find yourself. But if you forget about yourself and look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. We are shaped by our desire for the cross of Christ. We need to be hungry for the cross. We need to be hungry to be like Jesus. To desire his character to be formed in us above everything else. Question. What is your desire this day? Unless we value more than anything else the internal characteristics, the nature, the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus, we can only convey a religious or worldly point of view and persona, and we will continue to be powerless. Powerless Christians, naming the name, but little or nothing else. Because as soon as we open our mouths, we are exposed for who and what we are. For out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks, so says Matthew 15:18. God has not changed the way he does things. He still doesn't give us a Lamborghini before we've mastered a tricycle. Death and discipleship are still the prerequisites, the conditions for real power in service. It's the cornerstone of the building. We're anointed for service, not for show. And the anointing is not an end in itself, and it isn't for us. It's to get the job done. We must have the manifest presence of God with us. Not in visitation, but in habitation. Not passing through, but living among us. I do not want another visitation. I want habitation. I want the presence.
Will God in very deed live with man? I began our meeting on the 1st of December 2007 like this. In order for the body of Christ to prepare itself to be the bride of Christ, as it one day must be, we need to have not another revival, not another great awakening, but a complete reformation. A reformation in our approach to the scriptures, a reformation in our approach to each other, and a reformation especially in our approach to God and our love for God. When this takes place and only then, can we truly obey the first and greatest commandment that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, and all of our strength. This is the essence and true meaning of our calling as Christians. I recall saying at our first meeting this year that I suspected that out of love for you I wouldn't spare you this year. This is because my desire is that you should not only come into everything God has for you, but that you may become all he has in his heart for you to become. I would recommend that you take another look at the teaching from January, Spiritual Warfare Part 3. It includes Graham Cook's word about the divine acceleration, where we see it's God's stated intention that we should know him, grow strong, do exploits, see his glory, that we will be filled to overflowing with the goodness of God, that we should know the majesty of God, that we would have the joy of the Lord, that the power of God overshadows us and erupts, erupts within us. He also promised that we would no longer be the person that we once were, but God would turn us into a different man or a different woman. Some of us stood up for this acceleration. The circumstances in which we now find ourselves, beloved, are as a result of that. This is that. So stop whining. Remember that this is the year when you're going to stop doing that and start cooperating with what you have asked God to do. Die quietly. Everything in your life right now, all the circumstances in which you find yourself are incredibly important for the person who is developing in your skin. Don't try to duck out. This is the process required for you to become the man or woman that God decrees you are in Jesus. How you are known in heaven must come together with who you are in earth in order to develop the authority and power you need to fulfil your high calling. Don't resent the process. Don't run from it. Embrace it. Everything is useful for your growth and destiny to be fulfilled. Everything is designed to form Christ in you. So, who exactly is building your individual house? You or the Holy Spirit? 1 Corinthians 12:18 in the New American Standard Bible, verses 18 to 20 actually, talks about us being one body. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? 
but now there are many members but one body. We're all a gift to each other in the body of Christ. We cannot do this thing on our own. All that we have in our salvation is what we have in common. No denominations, no labels, just one body. The head has risen and the body remains here until the rapture, the catching away of the bride. The early church had one voice. They were devoted in a corporate community sense to worship, prayer, fellowship, teaching and communion. You can read all about that in Acts chapters 1 to 5. So some questions for you to think about. Who are you connected with? These bricks in the wall. Imagine a wall and bricks. You're the one in the middle. So who are you connected with? Who's under you supporting your life and misery? Mis sorry, ministry. Might be ministry, might be misery. Who are you resting on and accountable to? Who is alongside you at work and service? What's your relationship like with your fellow workers? Who is above you, who you are supporting? Who is resting on you and accountable to your integrity, love and ministry? We're living stones in friendship and fellowship. And you know the definition of fellowship, fellows in the same ship. Being built together into a habitation for God. God lives in our relationships, but he cannot dwell with strife, envying, backbiting and criticism. Is he welcome among us? If you build it, he'll come. We're part of a family. We fight in an army. We're a bride. We're God's workmanship. God is changing us into the image of his son and Jesus is building his church. Who is building the house that you call your local church? Man or the Holy Spirit? The church was designed to be a movement. It wasn't designed to be a building but a living organism. 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3 in the message says this, Present yourselves as building stones for the construction of a sanctuary, vibrant with life, in which you'll serve as holy priests, offering Christ-approved lives up to God. Jesus said, if you join my movement, this is what you can expect, movement. We've seen before that when church becomes a building, we stagnate. We get an edifice complex and the building starts to dictate our priorities and our purpose and consistently aborts our God-given mandate to move among the people and talk to them about the kingdom of God because it centres life upon itself, its upkeep and it places demands on us that we serve it. In other words, it changes its DNA. God separates us for service. Acts 13 verse 2 again in the message. One day as they were worshipping God, they were also fasting as they waited for guidance. The Holy Spirit spoke. Take Barnabas and Saul and commission them for the work I have called them to do. Outreaches and ministries are born, not organised. 
They are born out of worshipful intimacy with the Lord where his call is received and responded to. The law of the kingdom has not been changed. It is still the Holy Spirit who has charge of all missionary work. He will still reveal his will in the appointment of work and selection of men to them who are waiting on the Lord in service and separation. So said Andrew Murray in a book written in 1888. God's ways do not change, beloved. God calls those who wait in an attitude of desiring to serve him, those who love him and who are separated, set apart for the gospel and God's service. If you wholeheartedly offer yourself to his service, it will cost you everything. But that's what he's looking for. People after his own heart who love what he loves and hate what he hates. God's looking for a people who will be totally and completely sold out to him wholehearted in their devotion and service to him because what you love you worship together with their love and relationship with God's people. Again this statement highlights the difference between a follower or a believer and a disciple. Disciples sit down and count the cost and they love him with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. This was Jesus challenged to the church at Ephesus, a good, hard-working church. He says to them, Revelation 2, 2-5, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. If they don't turn back to their first love, he will remove their ability to make any lasting difference. He will remove their lampstand of revelation. There will be a famine of the word of God and the knowledge of God and the revelation of God. They will no longer bear fruit for the kingdom. Let's look then at uh, counting the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. Comes the time when we all have to make this decision individually. Jesus called it counting the cost of following him. We're faced with a simple choice, accepting the status quo or thy kingdom come and walking off our map. John 6 verse 66 to 68 in the New International Version says this, from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You don't want to leave too, do you? He asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. These were disciples who turned back. 
they had decided all they wanted was Je what Jesus was holding out until Jesus told them what it was going to really, really cost them. And then the ranks thinned out. Beloved, I wouldn't underestimate the cost. It will cost you all you have to truly follow him. I sense that for many of us, God may be saying at this point, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to come all the way with me into your inheritance? Only you can answer that question. Now let's look at kingdom living. Kingdom life is far superior to church life. It has a broader reach into society and no religious overtones. We are not sanctuary driven, not limited by professional Christians and not bound by the conventions of man. We are free to encounter God in all his grace, laughter, love and mercy. We revel in truth, bask in his favour, adore his presence and commune with his majesty in all circumstances. No prizes for guessing who that is, it's Graham Cook. Something greater than the church is coming, the kingdom of God. Jesus himself said, someone greater than Solomon is here. Matthew 12, verse 42, NIV. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is here. He's saying the king has arrived and he is ruling and reigning now and blessed are you if you get in on the act. It matters to God how we live. Our lives are to come under his rule and reign. The kingdom of God's all about God's supernatural intervention in our world. God redeems us in order to rule over us. He saves us in order to become our king, to reign and rule over us here and now. When he redeemed the children of Israel, it was because he had a holy mission for them. They were to be priests in his kingdom. God redeems you and me because he has a holy mission for us. The recent renewal and Toronto blessing were not without significance. God was looking to see whom he could trust in the next phase. Who would just use the outpouring for themselves? Who would just grow fat on it? Who would try to control and channel it rather than release it? Who would humble themselves and surrender the church back to God? Who would criticise the move because it didn't fit their theology? Who would help other churches to be released into what God was saying? Who would look for the giver rather than the gift? God is never random in what he does with his church. Hearts were revealed. He knows the men and women he can trust with the next stage. He knows where his Holy Spirit will be welcomed and not used and abused. God loves us, but he isn't soft with us. He's got us here for a purpose. His purpose, not ours. 
and right now we're in a preparation and training time. Woe to us if we don't hear what the prophets are saying. He receives us where we are, but he doesn't want us to stay there. We are meant to be growing up into all things in Christ and coming into our promised inheritance. What if the nations are our inheritance? Ephesians 4.15 says this, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So, the last leg. We're the end time church and upon us it falls to run the last leg of this race in which all the other runners have already taken part. This is why the message is so urgent. A relay race, for those of you who are not runners amongst us, is one in which each person does part of the distance, starting where the previous runner finished. In June 2006, the Lord gave Joyce a word that we were the last ones to run before Jesus comes again. We are the last leg. The last leg runner is usually chosen for that position in the team because he is trained to a high degree of two things, fitness and endurance. The last runner is usually both fastest and strongest of the team because he oftentimes has to make up ground which may have been lost by previous members of his team. This runner must be very determined, especially if he knows that he alone is responsible for the final honour of his team and he must not be discouraged or dismayed at his position, which may be to run against the odds, i.e. other teams are leading. He has no one, no other person, no one else to connect with, only the finishing line up ahead. The first three men have their eyes set on the man in front of them. The last leg has only to keep his eyes set on the finishing line, with no men, therefore, to obscure his vision of the ultimate goal. Win or lose, he's the one who commands the home straight. After taking the last bend, he's the one who gets to breast the tape, taking the team to victory. All may hang on him, and the rest of the team can now encourage him. Hebrews 12.1 Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. For us individually then in our lives, we must walk in light and we must walk in love. Ephesians 5, 1 to 14 says walk in love in verses 1 to 7 and walk in light in verses 8 to 14. Reading from verse 1 then. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, 
neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. And walking in light, verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness and truth finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you or give you light. Father, we need light. Help us, Lord. Now is the time for the Spirit and the Word to come together in our hearts. Everything God has ever done has been for one end, to provide an eternal companion for his beloved Son. Boiled down, that's what it's all about. He's unwavering in this, and he is accelerating in his desire to see that match take place. The wedding of the universe is going to happen. We are the bride and we will be ready, but first we have a job to do. Quoting again that which I started with. The church that God is building is not contained in the four walls of a church building. The church has left the building, is more than a slogan for a conference, conference is a reality that the Lord wants to bring us into. The church that he is building is found in the community around us. He no longer wants us to see our church as the size of those who sit in our building. In fact, he wants us to stop looking at size at all. Size is a means by which churches and people compare themselves among themselves and evaluate each other. It's a false sense of security or a false sense of insecurity that we use to judge ourselves to establish our own value or lack thereof. God doesn't even recognise that standard, it's foolishness to him. He doesn't want us to use that measure any longer. But if we're ever pressed to give an answer, the new number of our church is 91,649 people, the number of the population of the zip codes in our immediate sphere of influence. The whole place is our church, even if a person is sitting actively in the building of another church. We will not withhold our love or our help as the Lord directs. We are not just stewards over those who sit in our building. We are stewards over this entire geographical area. In this way, the number of people in our church ceases to be a number that either inflates or deflates our ego. It becomes a picture of the burden of the Lord over us, the responsibility he's given us to care for a community. In this way, 
The churches that are our neighbours are no longer our competition. They are co-labourers who are helping us to shoulder the responsibility for the care of this community. We love them. We're their cheerleaders. We want them to grow and to become as influential as possible so that together we might be the caretakers of a community. The Holy Spirit is releasing to us the capacity to live as the bride. Let's take advantage of what he's holding out. Take advantage of his grace and goodness. Beloved, it's time for us to begin to understand God's eternal purposes and our mandate in the earth. I believe if we really want this badly enough, God will give us a different kind of love to enable us to live a different kind of life. Life with the emphasis on building the kingdom of God. So the level of faith you bring to the meeting can raise the level of faith for the rest of us. The words you bring may liberate a number of people. We no longer come together to pew sit or be an audience. We come to participate and bring our offering to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The days of church being a spectator sport and an audience are coming to an end. God's knocking the walls of the church flat and letting us out. Matthew 11.12 says this, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. The background to this is that when the shepherd took his sheep in for the night, he'd build a wall around them against a mountainside. And then he would lay across the doorway himself. So come the morning when all those sheep had been penned up, they were anxious to get out there to that grass. And the moment that the shepherd stepped out of the way, they pushed their way out into the open. There was a breakout. And the kingdom of heaven suffers such violence as that. That's the nature of the change that is coming, beloved. There is a breaking out, and that breaking out will affect the community where we live. So, the difference between kingdom and church, Matthew 13, 44 to 46, says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid from and from joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great price, he went out and sold all that he had and bought it. Some of us have settled for mediocrity. Normal life is no substitute for spiritual life and spiritual reality. It's quite possible to sell everything and buy into religion. Buying into religion cannot help us. It's only the kingdom, the reign and the rule of Jesus Christ in our hearts and lives that helps and changes us. Church attendance, religious duties do not. It's the kingdom, not the church, that comes demanding repentance. Matthew 3 verse 2 
And John the baptizer comes saying, Repent, think differently, change your mind, regretting your sins and changing your conduct, for the kingdom of heaven, not the church, is at hand. It is the kingdom, not the church, that is the believer's proper priority. Matthew 6.33, Jesus speaking, But seek, aim at, and strive after, first of all, his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right, and then all these things taken together will be given you besides. And in John 3.6, Nicodemus comes to Jesus seeking the kingdom. Jesus answered him, I assure you most solemnly I tell you that unless a person is born again anew from above, he cannot ever see, know, be acquainted with and experience the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom, not the church, which Jesus explains to the bewildered apostles before Pentecost in Acts 1.3. To them also he showed himself alive after his passion, his suffering in the garden and on the cross, by a series of many convincing demonstrations, unquestionable evidences and infallible proofs, appearing to them during forty days and talking to them about the things of the kingdom of God. It is the kingdom, not the church, which is not in word but in power. 1 Corinthians 4.20 For the kingdom of God consists of and is based on not talk but power, moral power and excellence of soul. It is the kingdom, not the church, which is delivered over to the Father. 1 Corinthians 15.28 However, when everything is subjected to him, then the Son himself will also subject himself to the Father, who put all things under him, so that God may be all and in all, be everything to everyone, supreme, the indwelling and controlling factor of life. It is the kingdom, not the church, which is declared to be unshakable. Hebrews 12:28. Let us therefore, receiving a kingdom, that is firm and stable and cannot be shaken, offer to God pleasing service and acceptable worship with modesty and pious care and godly fear and awe. The kingdom of God then is the sum of persons who at any given time are effectively submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Submission has to come first. If you are not submitted to his lordship, the kingdom has limited application in you. He is saviour, but he isn't lord. 